Dotnet Rocks episode 685 with guest Julie Lerman. Recorded live Tuesday, July 5th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. Hey, Richard, how are you, man? I'm well, my friend. It's bright and sunny in my part of the world and you're in my part of the world, too. Yeah, I'm in Washington State. I'm just outside of Seattle and I'm visiting friends and here in my car. Uh, we just recorded a show with Brad Abrams in the car and during it, somebody came up to the car and knocked on the window. We edited it out, of course. But they knocked on the window and demanded that I tell them who I was here to see because apparently they've had some stalker problems or something lately. I don't know. Yep. But it must look pretty weird. I'm sitting in my car talking into a, a portable audio recorder with headphones on going to my cell phone, which is tucked up inside the visor of the car. So it must look a little strange. But so uh, I guess we won't do any better know framework or read an email unless you want to read an email. You got one? No, I've got one ready. All right. We'll just do that next show. Yeah. Sorry about that, folks. Let's just introduce Julie Lerman. Uh, she's our guest. She's been our guest many times before. A good friend of ours also. She's an MVP. She's an author. She's a speaker, a world traveler, and uh, has been in her past life an ADO.net uh, guru and is now a serious guru on the entity framework. Hey, Julie, how are you? And welcome back. Hi, Carl. Thanks for having me again. It's always fun to talk to you. Well, it's more fun to talk to you guys in person, but, you know, on the phone, yeah. great, too. How's Vermont this time of year, Julie? Uh, summer just got here, finally. It is such a gorgeous day out, mid-80s, blue sky. It's really pretty. I don't want to be anywhere else right now. Awesome. So what have you been up to lately? Well, I thought... You know, I was going to have a little bit of a break this summer because I'm not rewriting my book, even though a million people are asking me if I'm going to. Um, so I thought things were going to quiet down a little bit, but uh, the Entity Framework team just released a new CTP, so that's been keeping me busy. But I am really trying to take a little bit of time off to you know, go visit my parents <laughs> before they disown yeah. me, uh, yeah. <laughs> get on my bike. Do a little, a few things like that. Try to groom the poor dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you're the rewriting of your book. Um, no, no, there's the no witch, rewriting of my book. <laughs> no, 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 I know, but do you, you mentioned <laughs> that. What book are we talking about? Oh, my book, Programming Entity Framework, which I wrote a first and second edition of. I, I had to start, it's a 900-page book, and I had to start the second edition about six months after I finished the first edition. So Right. It's it's nice to have a summer where I'm not doing that again. So does it cover Entity Framework 4? Four? Four, yeah, the second edition I completely rewrote. Really, not quite from scratch, but I um, there's so much that's new, so much. Um, yeah. And I rewrote that totally for Visual Studio 2010 and .NET 4, Entity Framework 4. 
So that's completely different. And we've kept both books available because there are still people who, unfortunately, can't move to uh, .NET 4, still using um, .NET 3.5 and Visual Studio 2008. So that book's still available because it's very specific to that version. Now, I know this is a loaded question, so please take it within the spirit that it is meant. Why do we need a 900-page book to use Entity Framework? Or do we? Or is, you know, can, is like the first chapter good enough and then the rest of it is a cookbook or tell, tell you know, us what that, what's in there? What I'm, what I'm doing in the book, I'm actually, uh, going back and forth between practical stuff and then real conceptual stuff. So there's a lot of, uh, you can, you can take what you want out of the book without reading, you know, every single page and going through every single walkthrough. But if you really want to have all that information at your hands, understand what's going on um, under the covers so that you can take a lot of granular control over it, especially if you're writing big enterprise applications, mm-hmm. you know, so you can deal with transactions and customize them or performance and manipulate connection strings and, uh, you know, look at threading and um, really understand what's going on under the covers so you've got that you've got access to that deep level of knowledge in there. The okay. other reason it's so long is because I try to take a look at using entity framework in a variety of different ways. So I've got examples in there of MVC3 applications, uh WPF using it in a Windows form, using it in classic ASP.NET, using it uh kind of with draggy droppy stuff or building mm-hmm. repositories and doing unit testing. So there's a oh, lot of different Ways, tons of practical stuff in there about about working with Entity Framework. It seems like one of those things, and I've used it before. That you know, you can just sort of drag your drop, drag and drop your way around it, and get an application that works really well, and and pretty much don't not hit any roadblocks. But the more you get into it, the the closer you get to that brick wall, I suppose, or the possibility that you'll hit that brick wall. Yeah, especially when you start needing to write bigger applications that, that right. are in the enterprise, that are distributed, that, um, you know, every little bit of performance matters. Yeah. Now, does it does it also cover RIA services? No. I just touched on RIA services in the book because at the time it just, it I talked a lot about data services and I did a little bit of work with the RIA services, but RIA services, you know, at a, at a certain level, it doesn't, um, you know, people use it with Entity Framework, of course, but at a certain yeah. level, uh, all that, it just all starts being the same repetitive information. Oh, okay. And, yeah, so I did, I did some, I did some, and there are people who said, oh, can you just write a book about Entity Framework and RIA services? And I'm thinking, you know, a RIA services expert would be better at that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because RIA services, of course, uses Entity Framework. Yeah, um, absolutely. So when you say you're not uh, writing a new version, is that because you're tired of it, or is it because that there a new <laughs> no, version isn't really I'm necessary? Tired. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired. Uh, Actually, is, is it also because a new version isn't all that necessary? It's no that it's not that it's not necessary. But I actually wrote a whole blog post about this uh, a couple of weeks ago just in mm-hmm. response, because people are always asking me on Twitter, and you know, can, you can only 
say so much in 140 yeah. characters. Right. Um, so I wrote a, I did write a blog post about, about that. And the, the new stuff that was just released out of BAN, which is Entity Framework 4.1, it has two things in it. It has code first, which is another way of creating a model. And it has a DB context, which is essentially a lighter weight version of Entity Framework's object context. With also uh, some easier, that it provides some simpler paths to uh, really commonly used features or things that you would do with object context. So it doesn't change Entity Framework. It just gives us a couple of new features on top of it. So, for example, okay. with Code First, we already had two ways of creating a model, um, and that was creating models in a designer. So one was doing the reverse engineering in, from a database, database first it's called, reverse engineering mm -hmm. into a physical model that's represented by an XML file. Or okay. creating that physical model in advance uh, on the designer surface and then creating the database from that. So so what, once you've got the model, then the rest of Entity Framework works the same. So code first is yet another way of creating a model. This one happens not to have an XML representation. But it's yeah. still, but that's all it's doing, giving you a new way of creating a model. Then after that, the way Entity Framework functions, the things you need to understand about how it works don't change. Right. So there wasn't any fundamental change. Nothing to down Framework. in the core. Nothing that no no changes down into the core API. Just now, new features. They just uh, released. <laughs> A community, after, you know, we spent all this time going, no, no changes to the core API. That's not what's in Entity Framework 4.1. Mm -hmm. Now there's a CTP that just came out last week. Early, early CTP of, um, they've, they've, and, and this gets down into the core API. And they hit a huge percentage of the things people have been bitching about and begging for for a bunch of years. Not everything, but they really, got a huge amount of coverage. I don't know if this stuff is targeted for another out-of-band release or if it's just targeted for .NET 5 whenever that rolls out. Well, let's um, talk about that, definitely. What, what stuff is in this new CTP? Uh, well, I, I think that the most frequently requested that feature was Enum support. Oh. Um, so... Entity Framework didn't support Enum. So if you tried to use an Enum, if you wanted to ha leverage Enums when you're building a model and say, you know, I've got a status field here and right. I want to represent it by an Enum, you couldn't mm -hmm. do that. Or if you wanted to use an Enum, for example, when um, setting properties, mm. if this is when you've got your, that wouldn't be a problem with code first, but if you're setting properties, Using an enum, there's there's certain things you could not do with using an enum, okay. um, so it wasn't internally supported. So they created internal support for it. It's a little different than what you might have anticipated, of just you know writing some code for enum and then applying it in your model. They actually, in order mm. for the model to understand it, they have to build it into the model. So there's designer support for it as well. And that's, that's confusing some people. They're like, well, why can't I just write code and use it? But really, that's in order for it to really be part of the entity framework, the entity data models type system and, and, and the schema and everything. Yeah. So um, Enum support 
It's ever, it seems to be all people are talking about. So, so did you write um, any kind of workaround for enums in in your book talking about that? Just cast to an int. Yeah. Right. Not not something you can do built built into the model, but if but the other places that you might want to use an enum when you're right. voting against the model, you just cast to an int. But right. there's nothing okay. you can really do in the in the model. Nothing you could do in the model. So yeah. that was that w- was some a, like I think they had a unconnect, you know, the list of features people were requesting. That was the one with the most votes on it. But Interesting. There's, and so there are people going, "Yay, enum support!" And they don't realize there's so much more stuff in here besides that. Yeah, um, they've done a, a lot of stuff with the designer. I think one of the biggest things people have been looking for with the designer support was support for large models and to be able to break models up. If you have a large model, to be able to look at it visually um, in different views. So I have a model with a whole bunch of entities in it, but I want to just folk, I want to just have a view of that model that's just around the ordering or just around my products or just around, right. you know, my .NET Rocks shows or whatever. So okay. it lets you kind of subset the model visually in the designer. Um, and I haven't played, I haven't even gotten to the designer stuff yet to play with. I'm sort of more mm. interested in the underneath stuff that it's doing. Yeah. Um, so another one I was just working on a blog post on right now is the new stored procedure support that lets you use multiple result sets from a stored procedure. Oh. We had, we had an add-on for that before that was written by somebody on the Entity Framework team, but now now that's built in. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, we have those, right? So it was mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a, a definitely a necessary thing. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. The thing that I keep thinking about as you're talking is, you know, that's pretty good if the community's biggest request is Enum support in terms of what people are actually using and needing. Well, I think in terms of what the the most common, um, you know, the biggest group of people are needing. Yeah. some of the some of the things that didn't get as many votes are were still huge. Like very important. Another, right. uh, they they even listed this as the second on their list of what's in there that people were screaming for. And I'll tell you, 
I've never even used either of these things outside of Entity Framework, but they've got spatial data types now, so people can use ah. geodata and geometry yeah. equals Server 2008. Right? I've never used that before, so I've never had an issue with the fact that it's not in there. Yeah. <laughs> that spatial data is just its too confusing to me. Well, yeah. you know, if you're using multiple uh, record set stored procedures, you're doing it for a very particular reason. It's Typically, it's a performance trick that yeah, I send yeah. off one query and you send back I mean, maybe a dozen different sets that are related to that particular, you know, give me the information on this customer. And like, here's his address information. Here's the past 10 transactions he's done. Here's a credit review. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. it's, a, it's a very efficient way to query a database. And you're not, if you've gone to the trouble of implementing that, because it's a pain to manage that in virtually any, you know, good old fashioned ADO, it was a hassle to manage that. So mm-hmm. if you've gone to do that, and Entity Framework won't support it. That's just a showstopper right there. You won't use Entity Framework for that whole section of your app. Yeah, hmm. but they did. There there at least was the, um, not built in, but there was a feature that they added through their extensions. So they they actually provided that back in uh, for the first version of, dot, of Entity Framework and then updated hmm. it so it worked with Entity Framework 4. But you know how people are about things that yep. aren't in the box. And right. it didn't have tooling support. And this right. version, with this this very first version of the CTP, the tooling is not there to implement the um, stored procedure coming back in multiple result sets. So the team has a really good, a very detailed walkthrough of how to how to modify the XML to get it to the model, you know, the scheme of the way it will work. And then they say, okay, now that you've got this implemented, let's show you how you can actually use it in code. Uh, but they're working on the tooling. They just don't have it out yet. But instead of saying, oh, we're not going to give you the feature to play with, they, you know, they put it out there, said, here, you're going to have to hand code this part for now, but at least you can see how it works and start giving us feedback on it. Oh, and cool. This is just, this is just a CTP at this point. Am I allowed to ship code using this? No. No. Uh. No. no. I mean, it's so, it's so early. I'm, sh- I, I'm, you know, I'm just saying no, no, no. I'm sure I, I, I haven't seen the words anywhere, but I'm sure there is absolutely no. I, I'm, you know, it's an educated guess. No, 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 no. Absolutely not is an educated guess. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, very early. They're just trying to get, uh, um, you know, feedback from people. So, you know, thinking about, the the most votes for enum support. Um, another thing that you know that people who need it need it that's now supported is table valued function. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to play with that one yet. Here's one that I know um, a number of my clients have gotten bitten by when they're using uh, WCF data services. If you have a hierarchy built into your model and one of your derived entities, not the base, but one of the derived entities has a relationship off of it and you include that related data as as um, you've exposed that to the data services, it it breaks the data services. Like they were they weren't able to support relationships within a hierarchy. So that's something that they fixed now. And that's really important to a lot of people. You know, you want to use data services and you've got a rich model, that uh, that was another showstopper. Mm-hmm. 
That was a that was a big problem. So it's you know it's everybody has their needs, right? Pe- people yeah. more people wanted, you know, a lot of people were interested in um, kind of the top the the more more visible stuff, designer support things like that. Other people wanted to be able to support uh, specific things they're doing in the database and make sure Entity Framework could support it. Julie, do you, you must get a lot of emails from people and comments on your blog and stuff for people who are using Entity Framework. Have you ever heard uh, something that somebody was doing with it and thought, huh, I never thought you could use the Entity Framework for that, or that's something I didn't think of? Oh, yeah, or I didn't know Entity Framework could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know everything. <laughs> But it's, well, yeah. it's not just that I don't know all the features, but yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to think if I know there has been occasions where somebody said, Hey, what about being able to do this with Entity Framework? And I had never, mm-hmm. th- not only not tried it, but never even thought of going down that path before. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I left, I guess I left a few stones unturned, but you know, I'm only so creative. Well, I was, <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, Somebody's using it to for an application that is outside the realm of standard CRUD apps. You know, so for some kind of application that's unique or or strange or something you you wouldn't think of writing an app using Entity Framework that in that way. Yeah, you know, I'm. It's been I've gotten heard so much over the years. I can't imagine. I don't remember one off the top of my head, but. There has to have been that. As a matter of fact, I know there have been a number of times where somebody's contacted me and said, you know, I'm doing this and this and that, and and I've actually forwarded them, introduced them to Entity Framework Team because I've said, Mm. that is really cool. You you know, Entity Framework Team would be really interested in knowing that. Yeah. So I, I can't think of what the examples were, but I know I've done that in the past, so there there is probably that. So what would you, what would you, think of i mean yeah it really is you know it's all about crud right but but yeah but maybe maybe not well it's all well, about crud but i'm thinking but about it's is, not always about standard line of business apps sometimes you could you know you could use any framework anytime you're doing any kind of data repository stuff in any kind of application not just like a data entry screen kind of standard Oh yeah, app. and I have I've definitely seen seen that where it's not just like your typical business application, um, especially you know data entry kind of stuff. Mm. The the ability to pull data back is, is you know in the shape of your own model is is still huge. You know even right. if you're not going to do the updates. As a matter of fact, you know every time I start looking at things like performance. And it's all about query performance, query performance, query performance. And I'm like, you right. know, I should take a look at updating performance. And then people are like, uh, you know, we only update once in a while anyway. So yeah, <laughs> we're not that interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look at it, but you know, you, you hear that, um, that seems, I, I, I hear that so much that, yeah. um, people are more displaying data than, you know, and retrieving data, pull it, pulling data back than just do it than doing like a typical data entry application. Do you find that most of the people that that use Entity Framework that you talk to uh, let it write stored procs and in database stuff for them so they don't have to touch SQL Server? Or do you find that most people 
have already got their store procedure layers ready, and now they want to generate entities? Oh, the, typically the clients that I'm working with are pretty big enterprise uh, companies, so they're mm-hmm. they've usually got databases, but right. I've all you know, so they're they're working from an existing database. However, mm-hmm. I've also worked with companies, still big enterprise companies, that are that have said. We're going to redo our database. We're so lucky. We're so excited, but we're going to start, you know, we're just going to completely rewrite the database and just start this whole process all over again and rethink everything. And And they usually start from When they're doing it that way, then they can really start taking advantage of that. And I've talked to, I've worked with clients who love the idea of letting, you know, for for the most part, I mean, they have to look really carefully, but letting Entity Framework compose the store queries. Mm-hmm. Let it, you know, that's what it's really good at. Now, right. I know a lot of people just went, what? No, it's not. You know, there, mm-hmm. the Entity Framework will generate much better stored query, you know, much better commands than I ever will. So I, I trust it, but I know... I mean, I trust it to do a better job than I personally would do. Yeah, because as a DBA, I'm having a seizure right now. Right. Yeah, I was exactly, going to. I was going to ask exactly. you, Richard. So here's <laughs> here's what I generally tell people is, you know, it's you you need to know what's going on in your application. Yeah. That's yeah. what profiling tools are for. If you ca- you should care what's going on in the background, and if you do care, use a profiler. Oh, so two different ones, right? One for performance and one for looking at your queries. But prof- put profile the queries, and when you see queries that are, you know, places in your code that are gener- causing Entity Framework to generate awful queries, use a stored procedure, or go maybe maybe there's something weird about how you're doing the query. Maybe there's something you can do better with a query. But now, Richard, Richard, you've done you're Mr. Query Optimizer. This has been your talk for years. Yeah. About SQL query optimization, have you ever? Uh, done a profile on Entity Framework stuff and said, oh, we can do this better in a proc and had to rewrite that in your travels? You know, you always can write a better query. The question is, should you? Yeah. You know, yeah. The, this is not about um, pure optimization. This is about maintainable code. But And I like the approach of do it all in EF, and then put the profiler on it. Only watch where we're having problem, performance problems. And mm-hmm. then my, because I have very strong querying skills, I will write you a stored procedure that will be right. stunningly fast in comparison. Right. But that, you know, it takes up. This is all about specific skills. I think, Julie, you said it really well when you said it says good. It's better than what I can do. You know, I know right. there's specialists out there and I'm a specialist that can do a better job of it. But there's not enough of me to go around. Right, and you don't necessarily want to own it. <laughs> well, I also don't want to optimize that which doesn't need to be optimized. Yeah, yeah. Right, and that's the biggest problem is you, I don't believe in the idea that you can pre-optimize, that you you have to put the app in the field and instrument it to actually know what to tune. Right. Right. Good, totally good agree. Point. And it's not even, um, th- there's more than finding bad, badly performing queries that you can do when you're profiling. For example, yeah. one of the things that you know, I always worry about is people not understanding that a query's job is to be executed. And so people will write a query, in, like a link to entities query, 
and keep doing things against the query, like, you know, count, to list, do this, do that, do that, instead of write the query, bring back the results, and then start doing all the stuff to the results in memory. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. every time they do something to the query, it's going to go hit the database again and again and again. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing you can also see happening um, if you're using a profiler. If you don't, you don't know, you know, you you, you don't know all of these behaviors yeah. off the top of your head, and you can't plan plan ahead for them. Well, and the nice thing is, if you've got folks who understand their way around SQL Server, there's a way to turn on profiler and SQL Server against a production load that will not only collect up what queries you're running, but it'll sort it out to show you, here's the one you're spending the most time on relative to the number of queries you're doing. So really, you can use the tool to tell you, this is what you should optimize first. Oh, that's great. Because that's what the performance profilers did, like the code profilers. Exactly the way the code, and I tell you, code profilers model themselves after the way SQL did things, not the other way around. We've been doing that for years. It's just one of those instruments that that people don't know about. familiar with Mm. the other. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't didn't know you could do that. I'm not, I am not a a whiz at um, using, you know, SQL profiler and stuff. I, I know enough to be dangerous. But there's also third-party tools out there that that one that's really the best to work with right now is uh, Entity Framework Profiler. That was the one that Oren did. Oren yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I watched yeah. you and Oren collaborate <laughs> on that's that. That's right. In, well, Carl was Carl was, <laughs> was entertaining was the playing. entire bar, and we were sitting back in the corner. That's awesome. Yeah. But really, I wasn't. I I, I was nothing more than amused because uh, he would go. He would. Like, I was just kind of pointing where in the API he could find what he was looking for. Then he'd hit a wall and he'd go, well, how do you make this work? And I'd stop and I'd think about it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and then I'm, I'm but I'm, I'm kind of walking through it in my head. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I know. And then he's off again. <laughs> and, and so, Oren, if you're listening to this, if you want to fly me to Israel to play the Joker and sing that while you're writing code, you know, so you can be more productive... <laughs> You just you just call me, man. I'm I'm here for you. Well, you know, he just he just got married, so he, hopefully he's he's taken a little time off from programming. Yeah, uh, I don't bet. Sure, I don't believe is. it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl. <laughs> yeah, she's in training right now. <laughs> Well, so. and, and what a, what a, you, it was actually amazing to watch him do that. Just the, his intensity, cool. the way he writes code, is, it's really quite spectacular to watch. Yeah, his his mind does not work like a normal person. So what about indexing on tables? I mean, that can have a huge impact on performance of queries in EF as well, can it? And before you start writing stored procs, maybe that's a good place where you want to start. And that's a black art in and of itself. We really need Kim Tripp for that. You can't direct any of that from Entity Framework. And as a matter of fact, the uh, people who are using Code First, where Code First will generate a database, they're, they're complaining about the fact that they can't do things like that, like give, give guidance on indexing and things like that. Really? So you can't touch? No, the way, the way Code First generates the tables is it reads your classes and it reads any configurations you've applied comes up with a schema and then generates the tables, generates your database from that. But you can't go in and add indexes and clustered indexes and all that kind of thing? No, it's, it's, it's 
No, because I, I, doing that kind of stuff, I think, I think there's a big gap between, uh, the kind of developer who wants to let code first just automatically create my database for me because I don't care and the team that has a DBA and cares about indices and does things like that. Well, and there's no question that a DBA can go in after the fact. That's, and, and that's what that's what we recommend. I, I always recommend. That's what I'm saying. And, I, I, and the same that's with model what first, I ask. You know, let it, let it do the first stab for you. And then with code first, you can, you can turn off that, you know, database creation stuff. So you can use it. You let it put a stake in the ground. And then, and then let the professional <laughs> do the rest of the work for you. Well, and well, that's what I was asking. Still math. That's that's what I was asking. So once it creates the tables, there's nothing stopping me from going and and tuning with indexes. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were asking if Entity Framework can touch. No, the no, 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 no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. No, it does not slap your hand and say keep your paws okay, off my yeah. database. That's good. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. So the question is, after I've done that, after I've put on my DBA hat and gone in and tweaked and tuned and improved things, what happens when you build a ne- the next version of the app? Is, is it going to... Need to? You need to do a couple of things. One is turn off um, code first desire to do the database generation. Okay. And the other is... You're, you'll then be responsible for making sure that you're that you've got the right mapping configurations in your application to align your co- your your domain classes with your database. Okay, then that sounds awkward. What if all oh, the changes I make? An alternative. It, so, so I'm working on an alternative here. Okay, there is another one I forgot to mention. Okay, well, see, you tell me your alternative, and then I'll go from there. Okay, so there's another CTP out that has not been getting as much attention as the one that was released last week. And this is a tooling CTP. It's got a bunch of features in it, um, but the one only one I played with so far, which is the really exciting one, is it gives you the ability to reverse engineer a database into code-first classes. And so that's kind of an oxymoron because, you know, it's no longer code-first. Right. That's mm-hmm. the name they they actually originally were calling it code only, and that would work now. But then they they went with you know database first, model first, and code first. So they got the name. And I act, I did a blog post looking at what the reverse engineering does. So there was a lot of people who wanted to be able to do that. You know, I've got a database, but I love doing the I like the code only approach. I don't want to have a model. That I need to maintain. I just want to mm-hmm. have my co- my domain classes. So right. this will reverse engineer a database into simp- simple domain classes, and any of the mapping it thinks it needs. It actually, yeah, it does. It does all the mapping using um, the Fluent API. So it creates mappings to get you from your do- those domain classes that it generated back to the database schema. 
Okay. So basically these are all workarounds because the code first, um, stuff doesn't let you to tell it how to index the tables that it creates. That's what we're talking about here. Or as an example, yeah. Or, yeah. or I already have, I already have a database. Right. I already have a big enterprise database. And I want to put a stake in the ground. Now I get, I'm, ta- I'm getting from this that code first will regenerate that table without asking permission. And that's why we're having this problem. I mean, it'd be one thing no, if, it, no. if it just it generated the table it. once and then I went in and put my indexes in and then everything was happy. But really, we're talking about a situation in which it's going to drop that table and rebuild it and Not my indexes are gone. By default, the strategy that it uses is the one that says, I'm, I'll create a database if I can't find one. So when you make a modify, say you add some new properties onto an object and then you update the application, is it actually going to write the alter table statements to add the new columns to the table related to that no, object? No, it's not. It doesn't have, right now, it doesn't have the ability to alter. It, they don't, oh. and they keep telling me, let everybody know we're working on a better migration strategy. Okay. We're working on it. Well, and I don't look at this as a migration. This is a version two issue. Like the next right. version of my app, I'm going right. to add some stuff. Right. right. But they, they, the way that, the way its database initialization works is all or nothing. Right. So if, if I want it code first to generate the tables again, I have, I have to drop the old tables. Oh, no, 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 no. Let, uh, let me, I'm let confused. me, let me actually, instead of you guessing, let me just tell you what they are because I'm not giving you enough information each time. Okay. I can tell. Right. Give so us the scenario does, from top to bottom. It has three strategies. And then the fourth is that you can turn them all off and say, don't even interact with, don't, don't worry about what my database looks like. I'll take care of it. Okay. So the first strategy is the default, which is if I can't find a database, I'm going to build it and I'm going to build okay. it in SQL Express. Okay. All right. If you gave me a connection string and I can't find the, and that's with no, that first one, that, that's no connection string at all, right? Right. Yeah. I can't, there's no, I don't know anything about a database. I'm just going to create one in SQL Express. Okay. And it uses the strongly typed name of the context to do that. Um, if you give it a connection string and it can't find the database that you're pointing to in the connection string, it will create a database at the end of that connection string point for you. With that, you know, that database name in, in okay. SQL Server. Right, so you, you already have a SQL Server. Your DBA gave you a connection string to it. Now you'll use it. Right. So, okay, so that's still using, um, I'm going to create a database if I can't find one. Right, right. Now, whether or you gave me a connection string or not. The next thing is if you change, oh, so let's say we're in that strategy. If you make a change to the model, it's going to say, hey, your model is different than the database. And uh, you told me that you only want me to create the database if I can't find it. But I can find the database, but it's different, so I'm stuck here. You need to, you need to change something. Help me. So help will, me, it, me. will it give you the so, option so the to do it? So the next level of help is strategy number two, which is drop and recreate the database if the model changes. Okay. So okay. it's got permission to wipe out the database completely and totally recreate it. Okay. If, it, if it finds a change in the model. So strategy number three is always drop and create, recreate the database, or in their case, drop, drop 
what is it? Drop, re, drop and recreate database always. So they, they, I think somebody, I don't know anybody on the team who's German, but the way they named these strategies, <laughs> the, the enums for them, uh, the class names, you know, drop, create database if model changes. Yeah. Nice big com- combination of words there. Yeah. So there is. Um, e- so, you ever seen German? That's what it looks yeah. like to me. They just put right, all the right. words together. So there isn't another option that actually says do the alters? There is no, they don't have an alter. And that's, right. when I say they're working on a migration strategy, that's what they're working on. They're working on a way to say, I've made a change. Can you just change the database for me? You know, what's funny is this feature already exists in Visual Studio. Yeah. Like and I know people have said, but you can do it there. Why can't you do it here? Yeah. It's like, take, your, take your new schema. Very different animals. Very different stuff going on underneath. But they're not. All right. Can I, can I bring it back to the original problem, which is... We're tuning, we're trying to tune the database from after Entity Framework does its thing. Let's say EF creates a database and we do some performance tuning in the field and we find out that it's slow because the, the proper indexes, uh, the tables aren't indexed correctly. And I want to go in there and add indexes. Is it feasible for me to then write indexes, the modifications and the add indexes as queries, save those in a query file and then Every time the ND framework regenerates that database, I want it to run this query, which adds the proper the proper indexes. That sounds that sounds great. That'll and any framework CodeFirst is not going to balk if it you know if you've let CodeFirst create the database and then you go and put indexes indices. Sorry, I did take Latin for seven years. If you put indices on the database, um, it's not going to say, oh, the database changed, right? right? It, that, that's not what it, that's not even, yeah. it's not going to notice a change on the database. Right. Um, it's going to notice a change on the model because actually what it does is it creates a, a hash of, um, I think a hash of the schema okay. that it figured out and stores that as a separate table in the database. So is there an extension point where after it drops and recreates the table, you can tell it to execute a method or call uh, a procedure or something? Or do you have to do that yourself? The only extension point we have is on model creating, and that's before it's done this work. Okay. You know what, guys? The database features in Studio can solve this. Okay. So here's how you'd go about it. You have you have version one of the database sitting in production right now with real data in it, stuff you don't want to destroy, right? Right. You've built version two of the app. Yeah. You, the 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 test database that you're working against, you th- you destroy it to build the app, and Code First recreates the database entirely. Yeah. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you pull out the database tooling, and you actually say compare these two, and mm-hmm. it'll show you all the changes. Yeah. It would show you right. what so indexes you have... are on the old one that aren't on the new one. It would show you what columns have been added by code first. It would literally right. walk through the, and write the scripts for you. Oh, so yeah. It, it, data dude it, to the rescue. Da- like I love it. Staging, a, a set of staging databases. That's right. Now, the only weird part is it would say, hey, you've lost all of these indexes. Like, these all went away, and you'd have to go in and tweak it to say, no, keep those. I do want them, even though it's not on the new database. It is on, but it's, you know, the, the ice thing is it would give you a list to review because just because an index made sense on version one doesn't mean it would necessarily make sense on version two. That's and, right. 
And indexes can comply, can apply constraints. They can say, Hey, this column is now unique, which is actually a change to a table, not just an index. Mm. So, you know, there are things that would influence things, but you're right. Data dude would come to the rescue here. You could absolutely insert it into the process. I thought, I thought you were talking about within the, the context of Entity framework creating the database. You're saying afterwards we've got tools for doing that. Yeah, yeah. and I, that's the thing is I don't want to give up on entity framework creating the database. That's a good right. feature. I, I like just don't that. want it to lose the work I've already done, and right. I don't want to have to migrate the data by hand. And I want to be able to performance tune and keep those performance tune changes in the whole process of regenerating the database. Right. Even if, even yeah. if you have to write a little extra code to execute those Absolutely. queries that execute those commands that do as that. As long as there's a solution, I'm happy. There's, there's almost always a way around everything, right? Well, everything's easy when you have all the answers. <laughs> I heard somebody's writing a book called, uh, uh, something to the effect of everything's easy when you have all the answers. And that's, that's an axiom that I've been saying for years and years. But, uh, it's so true that, you know, hey, it, it's simple as long as you know what to do. Oh, you've, <laughs> you've experienced that? You've got all the answers? No, no, no. I mean, that's where I come from. I usually don't have the answers, but <laughs> people are telling me it's simple, you know? Oh, yeah. this is an easy problem to solve. Yeah. I, uh, I've come to really loathe that statement. This is simple because as geeks, I think we're prone to saying that once we understand something, we immediately yeah, forget the two weeks of ripping our hair out to understand it. <laughs> yeah. I or at least an hour of a... listening to .NET rocks, right? <laughs> I had an editor teach me that. Like you don't want to say that because the, the one person who it wasn't simple for is going to feel bad. Yeah. Well, and, it, yeah. and, and it's also, I think it's patently untrue. Yeah, it is. It is never simple. It's always hard. It's just a quick question of how long it took you to get to the point where you could do it, which didn't make it right. simple, just meant you understood it. Right. You know, that is the reason I started presenting and writing is because I got so frustrated with people who really knew what they were doing, skipping over the part that I had no, under, I had no clue about. And then I couldn't follow them after that. Right. You and like, both. God, you know, I've been programming for 20 years. I'm not stupid, but, you know, don't treat me like an idiot. Yeah. You know, our friend Paul Randall, jumping firmly over the SQL space, just wrote a blog post. that I, I'll, I'll stick it as a link on the show because I think we should all read it. But the basic okay. tenet of it is ignorance is not stupidity. No. Very good. Very good. It's a good phrase. Yeah. But is it bliss? <laughs> the combination of ignorance and arrogance, however, can lead uh, to stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Add in arrogance <laughs> and then suddenly it equals stupidity. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ignorant and therefore I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just that... that Blagojevich just keeps popping into my head. <laughs> 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 we were talking about him the other night. How is is he really? He, he's either just unbelievably clueless, or he's just the slickest guy in the whole world. To you know, he's just been go, convicted no, now. I'm still right. I'm still right. You're all wrong. Yeah. yeah. So there's a point where it's like, um, dude, no, you're wrong. <laughs> 
I was just uh, listening, to, and I'll say this again. I saw, I said this in the show with Brad Abrams, but uh, my new favorite podcast is the Freakonomics podcast with Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt. Um, Levitt's an economist at the University of Chicago, and he does research. He's a research economist, so he does research into statistics and behavior based on uh, data, you know, and and comes away with uh, statements like. Swimming pools kill more children than handguns, um, just based on statistics. So they're always talking about stuff and innovation and, and real world things and behaviors more than they are talking about economics. And one of the shows was on faking it. And, uh, he was talking about Obama's backpedaling with, uh, the Reverend Wright. And they had his statements, you know, praising him, saying that, uh, you know, he goes to church every Sunday and listens to Reverend Wright. And he's been and then, of course, Reverend Wright comes turns out to be a total whack job and he backpedaled and all this kind of stuff. And it turned out that he didn't actually go to church and wasn't all that influenced by him. But he couldn't say that because that would tell everybody that he was actually not a good Christian because he wasn't going to church every Sunday. So he was really stuck. And it's it's really funny to hear these stories of uh, of uh, uh, ignorance coming to bite you. Well, guys, I think that's a show. It is a show. Awesome, Julie. Keep doing the good things that you do, and and you know, take a break, but make sure that you keep us informed about what's going on in the in the entity framework world. You are our hero. Oh, thank you, Carl. You're my hero on so many other planes. <laughs> not about that, but yeah. <laughs> not about that. <laughs> and um, so the cops haven't come yet. No. Nope. All right. I'm I'm still relatively, uh, although uh, a certain bald headed frenetic uh, developer express employee came out and took pictures of me. Yes, I, while I was because I sent him a Twitter <laughs> message. <laughs> you did, and I retweeted <laughs> I it said, too. Tell him I go outside. <laughs> <laughs> a picture of Carl in the car. Oh, great! I'm sure it's posted now. Oh, it's online. out there. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't look quite as scary as you. I wasn't you, flipping uh, him off, was was I? Because all right, Very all right, Julie. All right, thanks well, so much. Great to talk to you guys. It's always fun. Enjoy being out west, there, Carl. I'm always enjoying. It. And uh, I'll probably it. see you guys in November, if not sooner. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. And dear listener, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.
Yes, I'm a...